Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast for November 2nd, 2020. I hope you all had an amazing Halloween weekend. I know I did. When scientists don't have access to large databases but needs large numbers of people with autism, and they don't have an insurance database, and they need biosamples and extensive information on behavioral disorders, they need millions of people, what do they do? Well, they turn to Norland. Yes, maybe you've heard of Norland. It's a combination of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. And they do have this type of data. They have more of a socialized medicine approach so they can track babies from birth and give them an ID number, follow them as they grow up, seek medical help, get information on every time they went to the doctor, every time they got sick. They can get biosamples collected. They can get information of the diagnoses they receive and the treatment they get, the services that they have and medications they take. And this goes on and on and on into when they have children of their own and so on and so on and so on. These types of studies have helped answer questions around things like gene environment interactions and small but significant differences that help families understand what caused their child's autism, what to expect as they get older, and what they can do to help them, not just when they're born, but throughout their lifespan. Remember, this ID number is able to track them over time. And some of the most important information about growing old with autism is through these Norland registries. Now, there is a resource like this in the U.S. It's called Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser Permanente is the largest insurance provider in California. And in fact, they have an entire research institute that helps researchers access these insurance data. And they include diagnoses and medications and treatments. They also ask questions on self-report data on a number of different dimensions of people with autism and their families. And questions that are asked and answered in Norland definitely need to be asked and answered by Kaiser or even other resources I'm not aware of. We're talking 500,000 people with tens of thousands having autism spectrum disorders with additional information on outcomes, including mental health and information not just in the person with autism, but in relatives as well. Unfortunately, when it comes to registries, the Kaiser Permanente one is young. It just started collecting this information and doesn't have the same linkages as the Norland data. And it also doesn't have generations and generations of data. Also, even though California is a big state, the linkages stop for anyone outside the state of California. So if you live in the U.S. and you have aunts and uncles and second and third degree cousins, it won't be able to link them. Now, come at me if you know any here in the U.S. that has this sort of linkage data. Now, I just mentioned tracking uncles and cousins. And we know a lot about the probability of having a younger sibling with autism if you have autism, but we really don't know that much about other family members and the probability of having autism if someone else in the family also has autism. A big question that's been asked and absolutely requires huge numbers, like in Norland data to get the answer, is are people with ASD more likely to have fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, cousins and half cousins with ASD? Now I know the cousins and siblings question has been answered elsewhere, but I actually haven't seen a paper to date with a large enough number to really get to the odds that a person with autism is more likely to have a mother or father or aunt or uncle with ASD. Now a new study out of Sweden, one of those Norland countries, 
looked at just that question. It went into the database of 500,000 kids born between 1984 and 2009 and found those that had an autism spectrum disorder with intellectual disability and autism spectrum disorder without intellectual disability. As a side note, there's a study within a study called the Stockholm Youth Cohort that is examining these exact things, not just ASD, but ADHD and intellectual disability and other outcomes. So this resource was essential. Now, why study those with intellectual disability and those without intellectual disability and separate them into two groups? It's because the smaller data and even data from other countries with large data is finding mixed results. When you just lump everyone together, we're really not finding very good answers. So they did something and separated them out into these two groups. Now they found about 8,000 kids with autism without intellectual disability and 2,500 with autism with intellectual disability. So there was more without. Then they tracked the what they called the familial risk, and that's their name, to determine the odds of having an autism diagnosis, either with or without intellectual disability, if you say had a mother with ASD, or a father with ASD, or brothers and sisters with ASD, aunts, uncles, cousins, and half-cousins. They looked at the odds of having a family member with ASD in kids who either had ASD with intellectual disability or ASD without intellectual disability. They also looked at the gender of that relative with ASD. So what's the probability of ASD increased in the child if it was the mother who was diagnosed, the father, the brother, the sister? And what about aunts, uncles, first cousins who were either male or female, half uncles or half aunts? Now there's a lot going on. And I know that in the US, these family trees can get very complicated. It's not a judgment, it's just an observation. So what they found kind of surprised me. I don't know why, but it did. They found that actually the probability of ASD without intellectual disability was stronger if there was ASD in both parents or even just the mother or the father or a myriad of first or half cousins, male or female half cousins. Now this was compared to ASD with ID, but both groups, those with ASD with ID and ASD without ID, had a higher probability of having a family member affected with autism than those without. So let me give it to you in terms of numbers. Having a mother with ASD was associated with a tenfold increased odds of ASD with intellectual disability compared to those with an unaffected mother. But in kids with ASD without ID, it was more like 20 times, the same with fathers. Yes, both those with intellectual disability and without had an increased risk of having a mother or father affected with autism themselves compared to those with no family history. But really, the effect with, was larger in those without intellectual disability. From these calculations, they calculated heritability estimates of genetic and environmental contributions and found, because of this, a higher genetic contribution in the ASD without intellectual disability group. They did not look at gene-environment interactions. However, I do give this study a little more kudos than others I've read. They spend a long paragraph admitting that the methods to study gene-environment interactions are not great, and it needs to be addressed in further studies. 
And of course, the model that they used looked at genes and environments separately, which they should not be doing. But mainly, though, I want to share with you the data on ASD with or without ID with parents of those with ASD because we've gotten questions about that over the years and no study has tackled it so far. Now someone has. Mothers or fathers or both are more likely to have children with ASD than those without ASD themselves. I'm going to get on my soapbox here because this study really needs to be replicated. And it also does not address individual patterns of heritability, meaning do not take this paper and decide or not decide to have children if you or your spouse or your egg donor or your sperm donor or whoever has ASD, talk to a genetic counselor. Take this paper. I'm going to link it in the podcast summary or email it me if you want a copy of it. It's for your information. It is not advice. Now, ASD with or without intellectual disability included is a hot topic in Sweden, apparently, because another group of Swedish researchers and researchers from the United Kingdom published a systematic review of studies that looked at migration or ethnic minority status and probability of ASD with or without intellectual disability. Now, the researchers were from the UK and Sweden, but the data were from all over the world. After scouring the literature, they include 35 articles that had data from the US, Israel, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, aka Norland, and the Netherlands and Australia. The outcomes could have been any ASD, ASD with intellectual disability, or ASD without intellectual disability. Unfortunately, as you would expect, when any ASD was the outcome, the results were inconsistent. There was just too much variability, and that's reflected in the literature. That's why they separated out autism plus intellectual disability from those without intellectual disability to, to see if that separation could actually detect differences based on the outcome. And when they did that, the behavioral assessment was more specific. And when it indicated a presence or absence of intellectual disability, what they found was that there was a decreased probability of having a child with autism without intellectual disability in migrants. But on the other hand, almost all the studies that looked at ASD with ID showed an increased probability in migrants or subgroups of migrants and even the descendants of those migrants. Sometimes it was also unchanged, but mostly it was an increase in the probability of a diagnosis. Now, the associations were more pronounced with parental origins from third world countries, low income countries like Asia, African and Latin, and Latin America. Now, what does that all mean? And I'll get to that in a second. I do want to note there's some particular nuances, including differences across ethnic groups like African Caribbean children and children of Hispanic parents who had migrated. I'm going to spare you all the details. A Norland study was also able to determine the probability of having a child if the mother was the person who migrated versus the father, and it showed that maternal migration or the mother was what was associated with the increased probability of having a child with autism with intellectual disability. There were some studies that looked not just at migrants, but their descendants of migrants. So not the probability of having a child of the migrants having autism, but the probability of their children having ASD. This could be an epigenetic effect or an ascertainment effect. And I can tell you one study did show there was an increased probability 
in the descendants of migrants having an ASD diagnosis, but not the children of the migrants themselves. So that was kind of interesting. So what does this all mean? Well, just like the um, previous paper, they looked at heritability estimates. What was the role of environmental factors versus what was the role of genetics? And not surprisingly, because there was an increased risk in those with autism plus intellectual disability, the authors concluded that there was more weight on the environmental factors. One issue in some but not all of the countries is consanguity. In different cultures, marrying and having children with relatives is considered okay. I know that's not the case in the U.S., but we don't rule the world, even though we may think we do. Different cultures view this differently, so there may be different rates of consanguity than in the United States. Now, that's not the case in every country, but it is in some of the countries tested. So what about the lower rate of diagnosis in the kids of migrants without intellectual disability? Is that protection? Well, I kind of don't think that kids who were born of migrants have any sort of protection against an autism diagnosis. It's probably because they're not diagnosed as often. It's an underdiagnosis issue. Their parents may have language issues and poor access to identification of symptoms. That can actually explain the Ethiopian study where there was an increased rate of children born to the mi migrants themselves rather than to the children of migrants themselves. That second generation may reflect actually an increased probability of a diagnosis because that first generation, those children of migrants who didn't show an increase in probability, didn't have access to care. But then that second generation who knew the language and then also were able to better identify treatment options and identification options probably had a better chance of, of a diagnosis. So the decrease in probability of a child with autism without intellectual disability should not be taken as a protective factor. And it's really unclear at this point what the role is for genes versus environment in, in migrant families. So for this study, I say this. Autism with intellectual disability is easier to detect. So children of migrants were more likely to have this diagnosis compared to those not of migrant parents. This is something to consider. It's also important to remember that children of immigrants may not be getting the same access to care because of cultural, financial, and language issues, among many others. This needs to be addressed. This systematic review reflects not just what's going on with migrant parents, but what goes on around the world in families from racial and ethnic minority groups, even within states with the United States. We know this to be true. What both of these studies indicate is that environmental factors are important, but what's more important is to getting to some of the more basic information about the type of ASD someone has. I know this is not always a popular opinion, but separating out ASD with intellectual disability compared to those without intellectual disability has identified differences that aren't seen when everyone is lumped together. People with autism are different. That's not a judgment, but it's time to begin to understand them differently. It seems like doing that is leading to more precision and not only being able to figure out the causes of ASD, but also lead to better services and getting people into services faster. Without breaking ASD into with and without intellectual disability, some of these effects on immigration status and even the effects on familial risk may never have been detected. So this is an important distinction to make from a research perspective. But don't get me wrong, all of these studies need replication, and I look forward to seeing them. But for those of you who are parents with autism, 
I hope you're able to use this information. And please email me. I'll send you the paper. Thank you, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.